It's 12.09, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. This is the second day of something new that we're doing, first couple segments of the program on an almost daily basis. We are going to live stream on Facebook Live, so if you go to www.facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, you can participate via the Facebook Live, and you can watch us as we stream the show. You can also decide on a daily basis, based on what I'm wearing, did I dress myself or did my wife dress me? The, you know, that that's always kind of one of the things, and, you know, we'll, we'll have that be kind of like the parlor game here. Did his wife dress him or did he dress himself? All right, let us get started. Yesterday afternoon. A poll produced by NBC News and Marist College, it's also part of the Wall Street Journal, came out, and it was a series of polls that they did across the Midwest. And in general, the numbers they found were very, very disappointing for fans of President Trump, um, said that uh, is a general rule, and this wasn't just in Wisconsin, but it was in a number of other Midwest states that, that people were disillusioned with President Trump, that they didn't approve of President Trump's job performance, that they wouldn't vote to reelect him in 2020. And that's all well and good. And then they asked a series of questions about various Republicans who are running for reelection in 2018. The top line number in the poll, they did a head to head poll question and they took the top Democratic challenger Tony Evers, who's the state superintendent of schools, and in this particular poll of about 900 people, they said, all right, if the election were held today, who would you vote for, Tony Evers or Governor Scott Walker? And the numbers, Evers leads Walker 54% to 41%. 54% to 41%. According to their poll, just 34% of Wisconsin registered voters say that Walker deserves re-election. Now, this is in pretty stark contrast to the Marquette University Law School poll, which came out a week or so earlier, that it showed for, again, the second or third consecutive poll, that Walker's job approval numbers were in positive territory. 47% approving of the job he did, 45% disapproving. But this new poll, if you believe it, would suggest that, again, the leading pollster, the leading polling Democratic candidate, Tony Evers, has a daunting, you could argue, insurmountable lead against Governor Walker. Were Evers to win the Democratic nomination in a couple weeks? All right, let's get right to this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me be clear here. I think this poll is garbage. And, and I don't say that from the perspective of somebody who wants to see Scott Walker be reelected. I don't say it from the perspective of somebody who thinks Scott Walker should be reelected, which I do and I do. I, I just say objectively, I don't believe these numbers. I don't know where they polled these people. It seems like you would have had to poll 700 people, you know, out of a teacher's union hall in Dane County to get these kind of numbers. I just think this is a garbage poll. It is inconsistent with the numbers that we've been seeing continually out of the Marquette University Law School poll. Is there dissatisfaction with President Trump? Yeah, sure, there, there is. Is Tony Evers leading Scott Walker by 13 points? I think that is crazy. Now, maybe I'm going to have to eat those words if Evers wins the nomination in a couple weeks and he does go on to route Governor Walker, but I just don't believe this. 
I think that something is badly wrong here, and I think this might show, again, the problems with polling. All right, 414-799-1620, what do you think? Do you believe these numbers? All right, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to let Gru line up the calls. We will be back to discuss this. I, I say no, and I can give you all sorts of reasons why I think the, this is just a really, really bad poll. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1213, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And we are live streaming this on Facebook Live. You can go to facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, and you can follow along and participate that way as well. Poll that comes out yesterday suggests that if the election were held today, Governor Walker would lose to Tony Evers by 13 points. Hmm. Paul in Menominee Falls. Paul, you're first. Good afternoon. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, no, you can't believe it for what's been going on in Wisconsin, but it, it comes to the same thing as when they did the polling at the election that uh, Hillary was going to win. And the, the only thing is, is when there's no openness and they don't show where they get their facts from, there's no accountability. They don't lose their job for not coming up with the right scenario and right. proving that they were wrong. But 15, 20 years ago on Charlie Sykes' show, a similar situation was brought up on this on how they make the news, and what was brought up on there was, you know, and it's deteriorated, the news used to report the news and, and political facts and stuff like that. Now the news makes the news. Mm-hmm. This is something that's trying to make the news and make the, make the perception right. that it's going another way. You can't trust anything anymore. Well, that's the part. I mean, thanks. For that, that, see, that's part of the problem, and, and one of the problems with these public polls is that they're designed exactly to try to do what you just said. They're designed to make the news. There's there's two types of polling. There's the type of polling that that candidates do when they really want to know where they stand. And and the key to that, I've talked about this before, the key to good polling is you have to ask a series of questions. You have to find out, is somebody really likely to vote? Because if you call up and you say, are are you going to vote? Everybody says they're likely to vote. Um, you have to narrow this down. And the way you do that is you ask multiple questions. The way polling works, though, is for every question you ask, you have to pay more. Whereas some of these polls, all they care about is the headline. They don't care if they're right or wrong. They just want to get the attention that this is the poll they did and get people to click on it or get people to talk about it. And so what you have is a lot of these what I think are garbage polls. Maybe I will have to apologize a couple months from now, but I just don't believe it. These numbers are inconsistent When you have, for example, the Marquette University Law School poll, which is consistently showing Governor Walker where he normally is prior to re-election above, above, again, water when it comes to his approval rating, that is not consistent with being behind by 13 points to somebody like Tony Evers, who... Candidly, I mean, that, that I guess he's the, Evers is like, I guess, the generic Democratic candidate. I don't believe these numbers. 414-799-1620. Troy in Oshkosh. Troy, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Real well, thank uh, you, sir. What do you think? I'm, I'm uh, you know, I told your screener that I believe the numbers. I, I don't know if I believe them or not. Or not. Uh, like you said, the last caller talking about the, the validity of, of it and everything. I just get I just get really tired of all these Do not poll either right or left. They're just just tired of politicians. You can't believe what they're going to say. I, for one, will not vote for Scott Walker. Tell me why. Ever. And, and tell me why. 
I'm a school teacher, and he hammered us a couple years okay. ago. It was very, very unfair about what he did. Okay, so you don't. It's it's Act Ten that you don't like. Yep. Okay. All right. Good. No, thanks for going. There's no question. Look, I, I, I under Walker's, Walker's upper limit is probably 53 or 54 percent of the vote. That that's where what we've seen before because there's a lot of people. I get it. If you're if you're a school teacher, you 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 at least. Not all school teachers. Matter of fact, I have a very good friend who's a school teacher who loves Act 10. Just why? How could he love Act 10? Well, he loves Act 10 because it's given him a lot more flexibility. He's moved a couple districts, school districts over the years. The school districts, you know, have more flexibility to adjust their pay. He teaches an in-demand sort of thing. He's made a lot more money than he would have if he did not have that mobility that he now has under Act 10. So I, I, I have a friend who's a school teacher, but I get it. I mean, if you're a school teacher, if you're a state employee, and you don't like the idea that you have to contribute a little bit towards your pension and thing. I, I understand all that. I just, that wasn't enough, though, to defeat Walker in the recall. It wasn't enough to stop him from winning four years ago. I don't see that dynamic. It does make me wonder if this poll, again, was taken. Did, did you go out? Did they go out and just poll school teachers at Dane County? Maybe you could get that kind of number. I, I just look at what is going on in the state. Here's the other thing that I've always gone back to. People tend to vote their pocketbooks. When people make decisions as to how they are going to vote, first and foremost, they talk about what's in it for me. Now, maybe that sounds selfish, but that's how most people are. And if the economy is doing well, if you feel good about your job situation, if you feel that your job is secure, if you think, hey, all right, I'm able to make the mortgage payments, I tend, generally, you tend to want to go with the status quo. That, frankly, is what Donald Trump has working for him now. Now, could he screw that up? Yeah, this whole tariff war thing could exactly do that. But he's got that working for him right now. Walker has that working for him. The economy in Wisconsin is going great guns. I understand that there's some people that are out there that are saying, okay, well, we, we don't like Foxconn. Well, I, I, I understand that. But is that really going to be a voting issue? I mean, seriously, especially given that Foxconn is now opening branches in Green Bay and they're doing something, what is it, Eau Claire or La Crosse, and they're doing something in downtown Milwaukee. You put that all together and you see the benefit that Foxconn is going to have. I mean, I think that's an interesting platform to run on. Gee, this is the governor that's bringing, you know, 15, 20, 25,000 jobs to the state and we don't like it. I understand that Walker, again, has limitations, but... Given where the economy is right now, I just don't believe a 13-point deficit. And I will tell you this, nobody with access to the internal polls believes that either. Dennis and Racine. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, hello. I want to make a comment on that. First of all, in Racine, I mean, that the the numbers there uh, must have been uh, like a Democratic-type poll, (laughs) liberal poll, because... Wisconsin is 2.8% unemployment right now, but the Foxconn, oh, they're moving to Eau Claire, Green Bay, and uh, 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 Amazon is all there. I mean, there's just so many jobs there, 2.8%. How could he be up by 13 points? I, right, exactly. Cause, I mean, that, at the end of the day, that's what people vote on. People say, all right, is, is the, how am I doing? How is the economy doing? And it's difficult to imagine Wisconsin's economy being potentially stronger than it is now. And... Even if you don't want to give Governor Walker credit for that, do you really want to make a change where the truth is, if you start monkeying around with what's going on, it's probably just going to make it worse.
I don't believe it at all. That's that's that, that, that you see that then when the fall comes out. That's gonna, I think Walker's going to win by. 52 or 53% of the vote. Well, I mean, thanks. For, I, 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 it depends on, on who the Democrats nominate. Now, one of the interesting things, and it's, it's the flip side of this story. The, this poll did not poll with other potential Democratic candidates, but this is a huge, big, sloppy, wet kiss to Tony Evers because now, if you're a Democratic voter and a Democrat voter and you're trying to decide, OK, I, who should I vote for in the primary? This then gives you th- this buttresses Evers, because if you believe these poll numbers, oh, well, if I vote for Evers, he's already 13 points ahead of Walker. This is going to be great. This I mean, the real beneficiary of this poll is Tony Evers in the upcoming primary. And maybe if I were some of the other Democratic challengers, I'd be screaming bloody murder um, because, again, I think what happened here is they got a heavily Democratic sample and what it ended up being is this isn't so much tony evers this is sort of a generic any democrat um it's going to depend on who they run i guess the flip side of this is it's good for governor walker to the extent that if there were any republicans out there that were assuming that this was going to be a a foregone conclusion well all right it it tells you that all right it's not going to be it's going to be a hard-fought battle 13 point if if this poll had come out and showed Maybe the race was even within the margin of error. I wouldn't be making a big deal of it. 13 points down. Remember this poll. We will be talking about it again on Election Day. Then, of course, the pollsters, they, they hide. The pollsters are kind of cowards because they say, well, you know, keep in mind, we did the poll in August, and it was just a snapshot at the time. If they would have had the election in August this or July, this is what the results would have been. November, the whole dynamic has changed. No, this, I think, is a junk poll now. It will be proved to be a junk poll in November. It's 1225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. It's game two for the Brewers and the Giants from Golden Gate City. That would be San Francisco. Jeff and Lane are on the call. Our Brewers game day coverage starts this evening at 840, sponsored by Construction Business Group. Gru, who is producing the show today and always. You stay up late to watch the Brewers game? I did. I I did, and there was. I I admit there were. Uh, it, there were some tense moments. They took the lead, fell behind, came back and and took the lead, scored a bunch of runs. They were ahead seven to three going into the ninth inning, and then it got tense. But and all's well that ends well. Brewers win, and this is an important road trip. Uh, they were three and three on their first home stand after the All Star break. Now you've got an eight game road trip on the West Coast. San Francisco always plays them tough, and the Los Angeles Dodgers are really good. Cubs keep winning. They won in the ninth inning yesterday, but all right, no need to panic. So you can hear the game. Our coverage, like I say, starts at eight forty this evening. Be sure to check that out. Also. We are live streaming the first portion of today's program. We're still up. Go to Facebook.com and then go to 620 WTMJ. You can see how we do business here in the studio. Before we move away from the topic of of politics and the upcoming elections, an interesting story in the news. David Clark, who is kind of a force of nature around here, be that good or bad. Sometimes forces of nature are positive. Sometimes they're hurricanes. David Clark has dominated, had dominated the Democratic primary for sheriff in Milwaukee County for years. Well, what's happening now is, of course, David Clark has left the primary. And there's no Republicans that are registered Republicans that are running on the ballot. So whoever wins the primary in a couple weeks is going to effectively win the election. The interesting dynamic because the 
the chosen Democratic candidate. By chosen, I mean the the, the elite in this city, the, the John Chisholms of the world, the Milwaukee County Democratic Party. They're lining up behind Ernell Lucas, who was a Milwaukee Police Department member of the Milwaukee Police Department for years. He retired. Then he worked for uh, Bud Selig and Major League Baseball for a number of years. He's the one that's racking up all these endorsements. On the other hand, you have the, the current office holder, Richard Schmidt, who's been on this program. He's been the acting sheriff. And I, I think, candidly, since he took over, he's – I think he – See, Richard Smith is a career law enforcement guy, and, you know, he was David Clark's number two guy. There's no question about that. But I, I think, you know, he when you're the number two guy, you do what the boss tells you. Since becoming the boss himself, you, you've seen Richard Smith, who's, I think, gone back to a more traditional approach to the job, prioritizing what the sheriff's department should do, recognizing that there's problems that need to be dealt with, but nevertheless, you know, concentrating his resources to try to move the community forward. And candidly, I think he's done a pretty darn good job. He's a career law enforcement guy, but he's been bypassed. Like I say, the Democratic elite in the city, the Democratic establishment has been rallying behind one of his challengers. Interestingly, Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abley, a Democrat himself, he's announced that he is supporting acting Sheriff Schmidt, and also this this political action committee that he runs is apparently going to start putting money into the Schmidt campaign. Interesting divisions here. Going to be interesting to see who has bigger feet, who carries more weight, whether it's Chris Apley or whether it's some of the Milwaukee politicians in this upcoming race. Um, I, I know Ernell Lucas. I don't think he'd be bad. But candidly, I don't think Richard Schmidt has done anything that suggests that he's not the man to stay in the job. I don't live in Milwaukee County anymore, though, so I don't get the vote. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It seems like robots are everywhere these days, and their takeover isn't slowing down anytime soon. Gene Miller takes a look at how Milwaukee is transforming from rust belt to robot belt. That's all at 721 a.m. Monday on Wisconsin's Morning News. Okay, we've taken down our Facebook live stream. What we're going to be doing, I think, pretty much every day at the start of the show is we're going to broadcast the first half hour or so, or we will live stream it. Let me get my technology right. We will live stream it on Facebook. Dot com, And so you can check that out. And again, we'll play the cottage industry. Did Jeff dress himself or did his wife tell him what to wear? Today, the brewer shirt was my choice. Fran was sleeping when I got up early in the morning. All right. I admit I am fascinated by this conversation about bird scooters. And I know we have talked about it in the past. But every day it seems like there's a new angle and something new to discuss. All right. Bird scooters are these uh, electric scooters. You know, just like as a kid, you used to have their, their scooter, except they're powered and they go 15 to 20 miles an hour. Bird scooter, this is their business model. They come into cities. They dump them, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way when I say dump, but they drop them off at various locations in the city. What happens is you download an app. The app then tells you where they are. They apparently have like GS home, GPS homing things in them. So it tells you where there are, there are scooters. You go to where one is, you find it. It might be laying on the sidewalk. It might be, again, up against a tree on the lakefront. You find it based on the app. You put in whatever information you have to have, presumably your credit card, and then you get to ride it. It's You activate it via your app. It's, I think, 3 bucks to activate it, and then $0.15 cents a minute. And then off you go on the bird scooter. And then you can go you know, 15 to 20 miles an hour. 
it's in many respects sort of a convenient way to get around. Let's say you are at the lakefront and you want to get up to Marquette University on like 13th and Wisconsin. Well, all right, so you don't want to necessarily walk. You don't want to call Uber. You don't want to wait for a bus. Tom's trolley doesn't go up there. So you say, all right, here, I, I, I want to find a bird scooter. Hey, there's a bird scooter a block away. I'll get it. I'll take that up there. It'll get me up there faster. I don't have to walk. It, it's something that millennials and younger like. Down at the lakefront, it's a huge hit. Hey, you go down the lakefront, it's a nice day. Yeah, we could walk up and down, but you know what? We want to cover a lot of ground. Let's get on one of these scooters and let's go up and down. It, it has that sort of appeal. Now, the city, as we have talked about before, the city is resisting these. And as a matter of fact, on Tuesday morning, they're going to have a hearing that would ban these at this point in time. There's all sorts of litigation going on. But right now, the city maintains that these these scooters, these electric scooters, are against the law in any form. It's illegal to operate them on the streets. That is the city attorney's interpretation of state law. Uh, maybe the city attorney is right. Maybe he's wrong. I, I don't know. But that's their interpretation. It, it's illegal to operate these. The city also has other concerns about these different scooters, including, you know, what is the liability? What about if people don't know how to operate them? Do they create issues? Because people just drop them wherever. Let's give my, my example. You rent one of these things. You ride it from the lakefront up to Marquette. You just put it on the side of the building. You can you lay it up against, you know, one of the buildings and you leave it. You sign off. What happens is the people from the scooter company come around at night and they apparently have the GPS stuff. They pick them all up. They service them. They charge them. And then they put them back out on the street. But, you know, if you just you leave them lying. And there's some alderman that says, you know, this could create an eyesore. Well, anyhow, there's this litigation that's pending. The city says you can't operate these legally to begin with. Plus, we don't think you should be able to just dump them anywhere you want. We've got all these different concerns. So on Tuesday, the Common Council is going to be voting on passing an ordinance, which, if passed and signed by the mayor, would make these things illegal to operate in the city, which would then give the police the authority to go out and confiscate them and things like that. The Bird Scooter Company, they are now contacting their users and they're saying we need your help the milwaukee common council could ban bird entirely from the city this tuesday show up at the common council you know argue why we should have bird scooters if you can't get there you can sign a petition all those types of things so this is this is playing out and this is bird's business model they come into communities they, they drop a lot of these off they don't ask permission to do it and then they kind of let the chips fall where they may all right, here's the aspect of the story that I would like to discuss with you. One of the concerns about these scooters, let's put aside whether they're legal to operate or not. Let's put that aside for the moment. I'll let people smarter than me who understand the intricacies of that state law, they can argue that. But here's the interesting aspect of the bird scooters. As it stands now, you don't need any training to operate them. You don't need a license to operate them. You don't need to wear a helmet. All you need to do is activate the thing, hop on it, and then take off. And as a result, you do see some bad things that happen from time to time. As far as I can tell, the only person to have been issued a citation for riding these bird scooters is a guy who was riding one the other day 
and who rammed into a, a pedestrian. Apparently, the guy was heading. There was a pedestrian that either stepped out in front of him or was crossing or whatever, and, and they hit him. And the guy that hit the pedestrian got a $98 ticket for doing that. So the question became, you know, all right, you guy was injured, so that's why he got the ticket. But I know that there are more injuries that are going on that we're not hearing from. For example, I have a text here from uh, one of our listeners. says, hey, Jeff, I, I'm an Uber driver. And the other night, I ended up 2.30 in the morning, I ended up picking up somebody. I just picked up an Uber passenger last week who broke their foot while riding a bird scooter drunk at 2.30 a.m., took her to Columbia St. Mary's on Saturday night. She went off the curb and wiped out. All right, so you know that there's a lot of that stuff that's going on that's not making the news. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are these scooters too dangerous to operate on the streets of Milwaukee? I mean, if you're on the sidewalk, again, these scooters, they're capable of going 15 to 20 miles an hour. Here you can have, imagine you got crowded streets. You've got somebody that's going down those streets with that. Uh, you're supposed to keep them into the bike lanes. Well, 414-799-1620, are these hazards or is the fact that the occasional person is going to wipe out on one, is that not a justification for getting rid of them all? Because the truth is, you can be riding a bicycle and occasionally people wipe out on those. Are these inherently dangerous? Do we need to restrict them, say, to people who only wear helmets or people who have driver's licenses? How is can BIRD coexist with pedestrians and with cars and with bicyclists, 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It is 1243. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, these bird scooters are now in Milwaukee. The city attorney, like I say, maintains that they are against the law and they need to either have a state law exception or the state has to change the law. Um, A judge will ultimately decide that. Bird says that's not the case. But regardless, the underlying question becomes, if these could be legally operated, should they be legally operated? Story about a guy who was driving one of these things rammed into a pedestrian. I just shared with you an email I received or a text I received from an Uber driver who said, hey, I just took some drunk woman to the emergency room because she was operating one of these things at 2.30 in the morning and fell off a curb and broke her foot. Are these too dangerous to operate, period? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Uh, no, I don't think they're too dangerous to operate. Number, number one, the only, the one caveat is would be I, I'm not really all that fond of the idea of just being able to drop them anywhere. Right. Versus having some, you know, some sort of rack, you know, whatever. You know, kind of like kind of like they do with the, the bicycles with now. Bikes. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, that type of thing. As far as people getting hurt, I mean, I've seen more people, I mean, there's more people who get hurt while walking while texting. And all of a sudden, they go off of a curb and they don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that type of thing. So, I mean, there's, and then you get the, you get the bicycles that are, you know, that are mail delivery guys or whatever, they're package delivery guys or whatever. Those guys are weaving out. And I mean, it's, it's, I, I think it's kind of a, 
that well, part of it, I think, is kind of a ludicrous article. Well, what about the person, though, that, that's never ridden one before? Somebody that's, hey, this sounds like it's a good idea. It looks like it's kind of fun. You, you get on one of these things, and then you're trying to head down Wisconsin Avenue or something like that, and you really don't know how to operate them. Is that something that we should be concerned about, or is that going to happen so rarely that it really doesn't make any difference? I think it's going to happen so rarely. I mean, it's really not, I mean, it's not that hard. I mean, when you're a kid, you had a you know you know, had a scooter you stood on instead of a little motor on there. You used your foot, right? You know, so, I mean, you know, with small little wheels, and you stood there and you went. I mean, so I mean, it's, it's right. I don't, I don't think. I mean, then no. you, well, then then it's just you know. You can't legislate stupidity either. Well, that's, I mean, thanks for, now again, and you know, the, the, the thing with the rental bikes is the same sort of thing. You don't have to have a license. You know, you don't, you just, you just pick one of those things up and, and you go and you can run into a pedestrian on a bike if you're not paying attention. Now, here's the flip side. Jim texts me, Jeff, mark the tape. There will be a serious injury or a death on one of these. I don't even like driving in Milwaukee anymore, much less on a scooter. 414-799-1620. Jim on the east side. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. I, uh, when I look at the, the, the scooters, um, again, your previous caller, there's a lot of common sense that comes into play to this and courtesy. And there's discourteous bike riders. There's discourteous drivers. You know, if, if there's common sense in play and there's courtesy, there's no reason why these can't work. I, I don't know that I want to see a thousand of them. Maybe there's a limit on where how many are actually out there. Right. But it becomes, and it's also, it's an important piece to the streetcar, which I call it the streetcar. I know you call it the trolley. Right. <laughs> but the reality is, is it is part of that whole mechanism where if you live a half mile, a mile away from the trailhead of a streetcar before they're extended, um, that's part of that last mile, and I know that's one of those cliche terms, but it's factual, and that's why Bubbler's bike, the, the bike ship program, has gone off the charts. Well, you know, and Jim, you know, you raise an interesting point. I, I, now, again, I, I'm a skeptic. Uh, of, I'm a naysayer on on the, the trolley or the streetcar, whatever you want to call it. I but know. but I know exactly what you're saying. If I'm Tom Barrett, I should be. I think you would be pushing these things because you could say. All right, you pick up one of these scooters, you, 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 you drive it for three or four or five bucks, you can get from your home to where the, the trolley or the streetcar goes. This would be a way of getting people there, right? And it, thanks for the call. No, and it just amazes me that, I mean, I would think that Barrett would be somebody embracing this. Here's a text, uh, Jeff. The whole bird thing is ridiculous to me. I see bikers around my city in Sheboygan with gas motors attached to them flying around. You don't need a license to drive them. There's no outrage about them. The skill level to ride a scooter is not any more than one who rides a skateboard, a bike, etc. It's ride at your own risk. No one is forcing them to ride them. You know what? And I agree with that sentiment completely. Look, here, Here's the bottom line. I think you've got to work out the legality. But I see no reason why bird scooters or whatever brand of scooters there are should not be a part of the urban landscape. And the fact that you might have somebody from time to time who gets on one of the th- these things after they've had too much to drink. Well, I, I don't think that should be a basis for saying, no, you're not going to be allowed to do that. Similarly, I don't think we pull out the bikes because somebody might get drunk and ride a bike off a curb or using one of the bikes and they hit the streetcar track and they end up, you know, falling over. I, I do think the city has a role in regulating them. And I think that it is appropriate for the city to say, all right, we're, we're going to set some guidelines as to how many of these we can have. And if you want to say that they have to have docking stations or something like that, I think that's an, an interesting at least discussion to have. But the mere fact that you have 
an occasional collision on one of these, to me, that's not a justification for saying, no, you don't have the electric scooters, just like because you occasionally have automobile crashes or a situation where a bicyclist will hit a pedestrian and we don't say we're going to ban all bikes. To me, I think there is some appropriate level of regulation that's here. I understand the Common Council is hacked off at this particular scooter company because of of their model, where they come in, they put these out there, and they essentially dare the city to do something about it. But big picture, trying to look beyond this, what's going back and forth, the back and forth on a daily basis, I think these things are a welcome addition to the city of Milwaukee, and I think they're going to be part of the city's future. It's 1253. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, coming up in about 10 minutes. Really, why was this guy and others like him out on the street? Stick around. That's going to be an interesting conversation. And what is the future of newspapers? Here's the um, interesting economic news today. And, and as I was saying earlier, at the start of this hour, we were talking about this new NBC News poll that came out that said if the election were held today, Governor Walker would lose to state school superintendent Tony Evers by 13 points, to which I said, I, I think the pollsters are smoking dope. I Did they go to a union hall in Madison to do the, these polls? I just don't believe it. And one of the reasons I don't believe it is because people tend to vote their pocketbooks. And the reality is, economically, in Wisconsin now, you, you, it's difficult to imagine how Wisconsin could be doing better. Maybe a particular individual here or there, you could say, all right, well, I could be doing better or whatever. But in general, the economy is going great guns. And when the economy is going great guns, typically – you don't throw out the politicians who are kind of riding that wave. That's going to be the challenge, for example, that I think whoever comes out of the Republican Senate primary has running against Tammy Baldwin. You've got a strong economy. You can argue she's done nothing to foster that. But again, when people feel good about the economy, they tend to vote for the incumbents. That's also why I understand some people roll their eyes and they say there's no way Donald Trump could get reelected. Well, the economy, remember it was Bill Clinton that coined the phrase, or the Bill Clinton advisors, it's the economy, stupid. I mean, that's it. Now, here's the latest numbers. Gross domestic product, GDP, rose. It grew at a rate of 4.1%. That's the new numbers that are out. U.S. gross domestic product rose at an annual rate of 4.1% in the second quarter. That would be the quarter that ended June 30th. That's up from 2.2% in the first three months of the year. It was the strongest quarter of growth since 2014. Consumer spending rose 4%. Uh, the housing market fell slightly, but I don't know that that's because there's not people buying houses. It might be because there's just not that much inventory of houses that are out there. So the, the bottom line of this is the economic growth in the U.S. economy surged in the second quarter. Um, that's a result of a lot of different events. And quite candidly, I think growth at that level is probably hard to sustain. But at the same time, for everybody who's out there saying, okay, well, you know, Donald Trump can't possibly get reelected again, look at, look at things like this. That's why I think when President Trump monkeys around with the economy and throws a wrench into things like by promoting a trade war, he, he actually has the potential to hurt himself. But if he's somehow right 
if he's able to come out of this and our exports are stronger than ever and it's cheaper than ever to import foreign goods and the economy continues to roll, well, don't be surprised if he decides to run again, if he gets reelected in 2020. But the bottom line news is from the economy's perspective, GDP grows at a rate of 4.1%. That's the best quarter since 2014. And that's good news. It's 1258. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One oh eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, everybody is asking me, Jeff, what do you think about the news today? Of course, Mike was just telling you, uh, WTMJ and WKTI being purchased by Good Karma Brands, Scripps Broadcasting, which owns the radio stations now, announced several months ago that they were going to be selling their the radio stations and uh, Good Karma Brands, which is a privately held local company, is buying them. What does everybody think? My, my short answer is it's going to be just fine. <laughs> it's, 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 I, I, you know, you can overanalyze this and all. It, it's going to be just fine. It's going to be just fine for people who work here at WTMJ. It's going to be great for the community. Um, I spent this morning with a number of the people, including the owner from Good Karma. Everything's it's it's going to be it's going to be just fine. And Steve Wexler, our boss, who I have worked for for twenty plus years in one capacity or another. You know, he really did tie in with, with the idea of local. When I started working here at Journal Communications, originally it was a locally held company, owned uh, locally owned locally held company. You had the newspapers, you had TV stations, and you had the radio stations. It was privately held local. Then what happened is we ended up going public for a variety of reasons, and it candidly. You know, being a publicly held company is different from being a privately held company. And then ultimately, journal communications split off the newspaper business from the TV and radio business. And there was a merger slash takeover with Scripps. We've been Scripps employees for the last three years. I love working for Scripps. I think it is a great company from my perspective, great benefits and things like that. But again, it's not a local company, and you you lose a little bit of that. We're going back to being a local company and a privately held company. And I, I, again, I I think the future is very bright for WTMJ. And that's really about all I have to say. Some people might be saying, "Oh, folks, they're worried." No, no, no. It's I I think everybody is very optimistic, and um, this is everything's going to be just just fine. Trust me on this one. All right, the Journal Sentinel has an interesting. Recounting of the criminal history of Jonathan Copeland. Jonathan Copeland is the 30-year-old man who shot and killed, allegedly. So whenever I use Copeland and his acts, can we, we just assume that I'm saying allegedly, with even if I don't go ahead and say it. He's the guy that shot and killed the Milwaukee police officer the other day. Here's the background of the guy's criminal record. Now, he's 30 years old. Um, according to the Journal Sentinel, He was adjudicated delinquent, which means he was found guilty in children's court in 2003 when he was 16 of two counts of armed robbery. Okay, He picked up another case that same year for car theft, operating a vehicle without an owner's consent and fleeing. So this is after the armed robbery. He steals a car and then runs. Based on that case, he was sent to Ethan Allen, which is the... The facility, the detention facility, used to be the detention facility for, uh, again, juvenile delinquents. He's sent there for 16 months. So you have this happening when he's 16 and 17. He gets out. In 2006, he was charged with armed robbery 
um, and accused of taking part in a home invasion of a person he knew. So, okay, so he's a judged delinquent. Got to keep in mind that's 2003. That same year, he ends up getting caught stealing a car, fleeing from police. They send him to Ethan Allen for a year and a half. He gets out, and he's not out very long before he's charged with armed robbery after being accused of taking part in a home invasion of a person he knew. Although his face was covered, she recognized him. She said he was carrying a large shot, a firearm, possibly a sawed-off shotgun, and was with another man armed with a gun. They stole between one and two hundred dollars and several bags of clothing. The armed robbery charges were changed to a lesser offense of armed burglary as part of a plea agreement. He was sentenced to fourteen months in prison and three years of extended supervision. Now this is. Right, right after he's essentially gotten out of Ethan Allen. So he gets 14 months in prison and three years of extended supervision. You might say, huh, go into somebody's house, your mask carrying a shotgun and rob them. 14 months doesn't sound like too lengthy a sentence. And if you would say that, you would be right. All right. So that's 2006, 14 months in prison. Then 2008, he, they describe how in 2008, He ends up, he's wanted for stealing a gun. So now he's a felon. Police go to arrest him at a house on North 29th Street. He hides behind insulation in the attic. As officers close in, he runs to a window, punches it out, dives out headfirst, lands on a second-story porch, and then jumps off a railing to the ground. Officers repeatedly shouted for him to stop. Copeland, in his socks, ran and hid behind garbage cans. Officers again told him to stop. Go ahead and shoot me, expletive, he said, according to the criminal complaint. All right, so they end up catching him in connection with that. The background, you might say, Jeff, why did he jump out of the alley, out of the window um, wearing his socks? Well, the uh, according to the Journal Sentinel, a week before Thanksgiving, he was playing cards with some friends. He noticed a gun in the house. When he tried to take it, the gun owner's girlfriend tried to stop him and struggled to pull it out of his hands. The gun fired. No one was injured. Huh. He took the gun with him and left the house, according to the criminal complaint. On Thanksgiving, he was back at the same friend's house. An argument broke out over the stolen gun. Multiple witnesses said he pulled the gun and fired a warning shot into the air. He left the house. A man driving a car in the area told police Copeland fired two shots at his car, one of which hit the man's leg. He was not charged in that shooting. He was not charged in that shooting. Soon after, though, police got a tip where he was hiding. They went to arrest him. He was taken into custody after jumping from the attic and running away. He was charged with two counts of being a felon in possession of gun, theft of a firearm, and obstructing an officer. They didn't charge him with shooting the guy. Huh. He pled guilty to the two illegal gun possession charges. Prosecutors asked for five years in prison. His story was he had planned to sell the gun because he needed money after being laid off. He apologized, asked the judge to order drug treatment as part of his sentence. He was sentenced to five years in prison and five years of extended supervision. So he does time. He gets out on that charge, and then he's charged with intent possession while he's out on that charge. You know, he's now out on parole. And then we all know the events leading up to the shooting of the officer. He's charged with um, distributing heroin. 
There is a warrant that is issued for his arrest in May. He is a fugitive for a couple months, and then the police go out. They try to bring him in, and ultimately he ends up deciding, according to one of the witness statements, I'm not going back to prison, comes out firing, shoots, and kills the police officer. And now, presumably, he will be in prison, hopefully for the rest of his life, demonstrating what a danger he is. But once again, you have this pattern. The guy is 30 years old, and essentially, from the age of 16, and my guess is, if you had access to all his juvenile contacts, probably earlier than that. But certainly for the last 14 years, he has been in and out of a secure detention facility, whether it's Ethan Allen or whether whether it's prison. And time after time after time, he has, in fact, violated the law, and he's come out, and he's immediately returned to being a criminal. Now, the police chief of Milwaukee talks about the need to go after the 10 percenters. That is the 10 percent of the criminal population who is responsible for the vast majority of crimes. And if you talk to cops, if you talk to prosecutors, if you talk to judges, they will all tell you that that's the numbers. Most people are basically law-abiding. It doesn't matter whether you're black or brown or white or orange or or green. Most people are basically law-abiding. The problem is you've got a certain subset of society that are just incorrigible career criminals. And the problem is we keep turning those people loose over and over and over again. And they keep committing more and more crimes. And as you see from the pattern of this guy's record, it, it is progressively more serious crimes. You go from car theft to armed robbery. Now, admittedly, then you go in, you, you put on a ski mask, and you carry a shotgun into somebody's house, and, and you rob them, and essentially you get slapped on the wrist for that. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When Are we now at a point where we say enough is enough? Because this, I think, is the ongoing frustration that, that happens in this community. It, it's Most people aren't inherently bad. Most people aren't criminals. But we collectively are held hostage by that criminal element. And for whatever reasons, because judges believe the sob stories or judges don't want to be seen as too tough, we just send people to jail and we let them out way too soon. This guy was a train wreck. It was apparent that something like this was going to happen. Now, I don't know shooting a police officer, but shooting someone? I mean, it was just apparent. It was plain as the nose on your face. And why these judges don't come down harder on the third or fourth time convicted felons is absolutely beyond me. And we're never going to get a grip on crime in this community and in this state until we start saying enough is enough. Again, we don't care about your race. doesn't matter. If you start continually committing crimes with firearms, you're going to go away, and you're going to go away for long periods of time. And, yes, maybe that means we've got to warehouse you. Oh, he said warehouse. Yeah, I said warehouse. You know, put somebody in prison long enough so that they're going to be there, and when they get out, they'll be just perhaps too old. They will have lost their, you know, they're not the 28 or the 30-year-old guy. Maybe they're the 50-year-old guy, and maybe they will decide at this point in time, I'm done sticking guns in people's faces or shooting at people or stealing firearms. 
That's the only way we're going to solve crime. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jason on the southwest side. Jason, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Jason. And what I think is John Chisholm should have stood out there and said, I am solely responsible for this. I personally have a, a piece in this because that guy should be in prison. If they would stop cleaning out all these cases and put the people in prison that need to go there, that 10%, that's what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Some people need to go to prison. Well, right, exactly. And I'm not saying everybody needs to go to prison. Look, most I understand, especially when you're when people are young, some young people do stupid things, and they don't need to be warehoused. But yeah, after about the second or third time, when you walk, get caught walking into some breaking into somebody's house with a ski mask and a sawed-off shotgun or a How shotgun, you get fourteen months for that. Yeah, how? <laughs> yeah. How? Right. how? Th- thanks, Chisholm. Yeah, well, thanks. thanks well, it's also the judge. Thanks for It's not just the DA. It's 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 these judges that are out there that are doing this stuff. Maybe in the short term, the answer is mandatory minimum penalties. And this is something that I would love to see the legislatures take a, a look at. That the idea that all right, we're going to take this discretion out of judges' hands because judges abuse this. They blow it. And we're going to say, all right, if you commit a crime with a firearm, for example, you know, you're going to go to jail for a ma- at least five years, at least five years in prison, no parole, period, and then maybe more. But this, well, let's just, if we're serious about dealing with gun crime, and look, I don't care where you are on the gun control spectrum. I don't care if you're somebody who thinks that, you know, you shouldn't have concealed carry. It doesn't matter. We would all agree, I would hope, that people who have felony records, People who have engaged in misconduct with guns shouldn't legally be allowed to have guns. All right. So when you catch somebody who's in that situation that's committing a crime with a gun, why in the you know what don't we take that person and put them off the street for a number of years? Number one, to punish them for what they've done. Yeah, and I don't have any problem with punishing that. And number two, to protect the rest of us from that person because we know if we allow them to be out on the streets, they are more likely than not going to engage in some form of criminal behavior. And in this particular case, you look at the guy's record, you knew it was only a matter of time before he killed someone, whether it was a police officer or not, you know, you can't predict. But in this case, yeah, this guy was a walking time bomb. You knew this stuff was going to happen, and he shouldn't have been on the street in the first place. And what scares me is that there's probably a 100 or 500 or a 1,000 more people like him roaming the streets of Milwaukee, and that's what we all need to be concerned about. It's 122. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 125. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, training camp is here, and we here at WTMJ are your flagship for all things green and gold. To see full coverage of the Packers, including their 2018 schedule, text the word PACKERS to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's 414 799 one six twenty. All right, Gru, who's producing the show today, and always be honest. Do you know what an emolument is? No, no. Have you ever? Heard, have you ever? No, no idea. All right, no clue at all. Jeff, don't even ask me any more questions about this. I've already told you. I have no clue as to what this is. Period. Well, that's all right because most people don't know what emoluments are. Matter of fact, my guess is almost no one would have known what an emollient was, except emolument, except because of a lawsuit that was filed against the President of the United States. All right, here's the deal. There is a provision in the United States Constitution, which essentially says 
that it is unlawful for the president to receive financial benefits or emoluments. An emolument is a financial benefit from a foreign government. Now, this particular clause has really never, ever, ever been been tested. But because if you go back to, well, you, you got to go back to the founders, and I think the founders, founding fathers were concerned that we're creating this presidency, and, and we don't want to have a situation where the president of the United States is getting paid off by, I don't know, the, the king of England, things like that. So that, that was the concern. So you're not supposed to accept financial benefits from a foreign power, all right, which makes sense, and it's, you know, on its face. So the question then becomes, well, okay, why, why is President Trump in trouble for that? Why, what could possibly be the problem with that? Well, here's the argument. President Trump owns the company, his company owns the Trump International Hotel, which is a five-star hotel just blocks from the White House. So that's in the ownership of, of the Trump company. This hotel is frequented by foreign dignitaries and state officials. So if you have somebody from, I don't know, Morocco, who comes and stays at that hotel, they're paying room rent to that. They're, you know, they're, they're guests and they pay. And so at some point in time, again, because this is a company that is owned by President Trump, you have the foreign officials who are paying money, which the profits of which might ultimately go to benefit President Trump. So there's been this lawsuit that's been filed, again, alleging there is a corruption problem here, that President Trump is violating, again, the anti-corruption clauses of the Constitution because people stay at the Trump International Hotel from foreign governments, and he might choose to benefit from this. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's tee this up. Does this bother you? Do you think this is the type of thing that foreign governments had in mind, or is this just another sign of Trump derangement syndrome? 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss in a couple minutes. 129, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 137, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's ranked as one of the most appealing places to live by Money Magazine. The All-American Window and Door We Love Wisconsin Tour rolls into Germantown. John Mercure gets the fun started at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Okay, if you're just tuning in, the Constitution bars federal officials, including the president, from taking any emoluments, which is things of value, from any king, prince, or foreign state. The Founding Fathers' intent had been to stop U.S. ambassadors overseas. Now, now keep in mind, you know, we're, we're talking, we're going back to the 1700s. So you have an ambassador that's posted in France or in Spain or in, in England, and you, you, don't, you don't see them for months and months. The purpose behind this was to stop U.S. ambassadors. And keep in mind that this time, the time of the Founding Fathers, the, the U.S. was a, a poor, it was a fragile, it was a new country. The purpose was to stop ambassadors from being bought off by jewels or payments from wealthy European states. And that, that's, that's the idea. We don't have this network of communications. You send somebody to be an ambassador to France, and all of a sudden he's getting bribed by the, the king of France. 
That they didn't want that. That would be a bad thing. All right. Well, the emoluments clause, this provision really hasn't been interpreted for over 200 years. Okay. So what happens now is President Trump becomes the president. President Trump owns a hotel in Washington, D.C. At least the company that he controls owns the hotel, the Trump International. And what happens is many of the customers are customers from foreign governments. It's just block, blocks from the White House. Um, they've rented out, for example, an embassy at Kuwait or the Philippines. They want to they wanna have events there. They have events there. Dignitaries come into Washington for meetings, not just at the White House, but for with members of Congress or whatever. They stay at the hotel. They pay money to stay there. And there's now this lawsuit that's been filed saying, hey, Trump is viol- President Trump is violating this provision of the Constitution. He's benefiting. And the argument is he benefits improperly. It's unconstitutional, even if the room rates are within reason, even if it's a fair exchange. The fact that uh, the, com- the country alone, the foreign country, is simply spending money at the hotel, that in and of itself means Trump is violating the Constitution. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in West Dallas. Dave, good afternoon. Uh, actually, it's Danny. Hi, Danny. Uh, but no problem. Uh, well, here's what I'm thinking. It, that lawsuit just smells to me like cat food and desperation. The plain and simple, they're trying to get, somebody is trying to get Trump on just about anything they can, and here's a real point of desperation. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't you think that Trump's advisors and he himself would be intelligent enough to know what he was running, that that was a situation? And that probably there's some steps in in place, you know, where, okay, yes, he's still the owner, but he they're going to keep a look at the books and make sure that that doesn't happen. So you don't profit from that, you know. Well, but see, I mean, thanks. But see, the, I mean, the argument is that that as long as he has an ownership interest in the hotel, which, which he does, he profits from it because, I mean, he he owned he his company owns the hotel, so ultimately the money gets passed on to him in some way, shape, or form, and so he's benefiting from the fact that somebody makes the decision to want to stay there. Even, again, this is what I find so interesting about it. It's not like they're charging exorbitant or out-of-market rates. Here, you get a special access to the president if you give us this money. The argument is, hey, you just stay there as a regular tenant. You are still, even if you're paying a fair room rate or whatever, you're still violating the law. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. Hi, John. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, uh, it's, it's interesting. I uh, I work for a Fortune 100 company, global company, and there are very specific guidelines associated with conflict of interest. And, and these are, you know, protecting our reputation is, is probably one of the most important things we do. I I think in this situation, uh, you know, I really can't talk about the law. You know, right. Not- well, the law is unsettled. No, 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 you know, pretty much the law, the Constitution says this, and this hasn't been raised for 200 years. So we're, you know, we're writing on a blank slate. Yeah, but, you know, you know fundamentally, the Trump organization, you know, is it, a, is it a conflict of interest? I think they need to go out of their way to ensure that there is absolutely no evidence or visibility of impropriety associated with that, you know. Um, these are these are really difficult situations to look at and or to to consider. But you know, you 
Well, let's, let's work. I mean, explain. I mean, how, where, where is, in your mind, where is the conflict of interest or the potential conflict of interest? This is, it's an existing hotel. It, so it's, so it's been there. You have, there, there, I mean, I guess there's different choices of where people could stay. So the, the foreign government say, hey, this is close to the White House or it's close to Congress or whatever. We stay there. We pay the same equivalent rate that we would pay at another five-star hotel on the other side of town. What, what is the conflict of interest in your mind? Well, the conflict could be the conflict on its on its face is is the fact that uh, our president would could be profiting. And, and trust me, I'm not a right. I'm not an anti-Trump guy. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm no. But I it it is a situation in which in in which there is a potential of of influence that can be gained. So I think I think the organization would have to go out of their way to ensure that there is absolutely no guidance, no no steering of business towards that hotel specifically from the mm-hmm. White House or from from the from any government official. In your mind would it be a conflict of interest even if there weren't any? So let let's say that um, you and I are oh we're 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 coming from France and, and we've got meetings with people in Washington DC and we're looking for a convenient place and we decide that we want to stay in this hotel because it's close to where we're we're meeting. We don't hope to have access to the president. It's just convenient. So we decide we want to go there and stay and pay the room rates. Is that in and of itself in your mind an inherent conflict of interest? No. Okay. No. As long as as long as there's no steering of business towards that hotel. Selling of access. So I, think, I think that's that's what we that's what we would have to uh, hear. So you know, for the company I work for, we would make sure we would we would um, draw very specific guidelines of what you can and cannot do as as the owner or the benefactor of a specific institution that the company may in right. essence spend its money at. Well, and and it and it's a unique situation because I, I I'm trying to think of too many like I I doubt that the for example the president of your company. Is going to you know own independent hotels that you know, <laughs> that are independent of the company that they might steer their workers to you know that's the so thanks for, so it is a unique situation I I, I concede that I, I do go back though to you know what the founding fathers were intending with this provision which was again to stop you know their ambassadors who are overseas and out of touch from getting bribed by you know being paid off directly by you know. By people, so the question is: Does this mean something more than, than bribery? Is the very fact that you have somebody who is in in business does that violate this? And of course, and this then raises all sorts of issues. If you if you start going off the rails and talking about, for example, campaign finance, well, where where, where do you get it? If I donate money to a particular campaign and I get to go meet the president, I get access. Is is that an emolument? Where do you draw the line? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Lee in Milwaukee. Lee, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. What do you think? Um, well, I don't, I don't think it's it's a lot to do about nothing. Okay. Um, I believe he put all of his business interest and trust as all presidents before him that were businessmen or had business interests did. Um, right. So it's out of his hands. And uh, he's following the letter of the law in that regard. Um, personally, I voted for him because he wasn't a politician and he was a businessman, and I figured he'd do well for the economy. So um, right. it, this doesn't, bad. This doesn't bother you. Not at all. 
Got it. Okay, thanks for calling. I mean, this this is why it's tricky. See, I think... I, I, I think this is a stretch. Now, the reason we're talking about this is a federal judge in Maryland has allowed a lawsuit to continue. Just didn't throw it off, throw it out saying there's absolutely no merit to this. So it's now being pursued. I, I'm very curious as to whether courts would ultimately agree that, right, if you've got a president who owns a hotel or has a controlling interest in a corporation which owns a hotel, um, does that mean that people from foreign governments can't stay there? Let's talk to uh, Mike in Milwaukee. Hi, Mike. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. I was just telling your screener, uh, wouldn't you think that competing businesses, hotels and restaurants would have a stake in this lawsuit? Because, after all, if a large delegation from Kuwait wants something from the president and is coming to see him, would they, wouldn't they prefer to stay at Trump Tower or someplace rather than... Um, Ritz-Carlton or whatever. But do you think so? Do you think they really would? I mean, I guess that's the... probably losing some business. I can't imagine that they wouldn't be. Huh. Even if the rates are competitive. Yeah, but that's not... uh, You know, they're not worried... A delegation from Kuwait or Qatar isn't worrying about competitive rates. Well, well, what what do you think Trump is supposed to do? Well, let's say say they just want to be a curry favor with uh, the American government for some reason. Right. And... uh, uh, they're going to flatter him at the very least. We know he's susceptible to flattery by staying at his uh, at his establishment. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. No, no, I get it. Seems it. to me that the uh, competing uh, uh, hotels and restaurants would be uh, at a considerable disadvantage. Well, I mean, thanks. So. I mean, and maybe. I mean, I guess the flip side of that might be that you know, given all the bad press, you know, the the, the Trump name has lost some luster. Follow this lawsuit. Going to be interesting to see how it plays out. One forty eight. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 150, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, this is, look, I, I understand this whole concept of the Trump derangement syndrome, and I understand the concerns about conflict of interest and all that. And I, I do think, I think there are legitimate concerns, and you never want to see any public official, whether it's the president or a senator or a congressman or a school board member, profiting from their position. I do say honestly, in this particular situation, I think it's a stretch to suggest that just because somebody decides to stay at a hotel that the president owns and that somebody might be a person of a foreign government, that that violates the Constitution. And I think that's what the issue of this should end up being. But again, what you're going to have is you're going to have litigation involving this, and who knows what a judge might decide. You know, this is an election year coming up, and it's interesting because locally at least and statewide, you have people that are talking about different issues that might be important to different constituencies. We in Wisconsin, have had a tuition freeze on tuition at the UW system schools for the last several years. It's one of the things that was put in place to try to, I think in some respects, ratchet in what was out of control spending by certain UW schools, but also to give some of the students, particularly the in-state students, a break given the fact that the cost of higher education has gone up so great. So in any event, um, Scott Walker, running for re-election, he's out saying that he plans, if re-elected, to extend the tuition freeze at University of Wisconsin campuses for four more years. He says, I'm going to continue this freeze. Now, predictably, the UW officials, they're saying, well, if you do this, it's going to be devastating. It's going to hurt the quality of education. And Walker's saying, no, this is one of these examples where what I want to do is I want to side 
come down on the side of the in-state tuition of the, the kids, the in-state residents who are paying all this various money. Now, some of Walker's opponents talk about this as being, well, this is just, again, it, it's a way that you pander to votes. I, voters, I don't think so. I think what you're seeing here is a, a good-faith effort to recognize that costs are high. Tuition costs are are high, and this is a way to try to make it easier and to make higher education more accessible to kids, especially kids from Wisconsin. And if that means that some of the bureaucrats at the UW schools have to, I don't know, get rid of some mid-level manager, well, maybe you need to get rid of the mid-level manager. Back with more in just a minute. It's 153. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, coming up in about 10 minutes. Should you really be able to shoot somebody for doing that? And then, of course, 235, as we always do on Friday afternoons, Pop Culture Corner, a fun and somewhat embarrassing one this week. We're going to ask you to be absolutely honest when I pose the question. All right, before that, though, last night there was the Republican senatorial candidate debate, the first hour was between Leah Vukmir and Kevin Nicholson, and that was the hour that was televised. And then there was like a second half hour where we had these three other candidates, none of whom I know. One of the guys had a big Santa Claus beard, and he had a T-shirt with the uh, the sleeves cut off. You know, I just I, I have no idea who these other three are, but it's like that's okay, don't worry because nobody needs to know who the other three are. They're not going to be one of the choices. There, there were some people predicting that there were going to be all these fireworks between Kevin Nicholson and Leah Vukmir. And even though I only watched clips of the debate, not the whole thing, I, I didn't I didn't see those, those kind of fireworks. Matter of fact, there were a number of civil exchanges between the candidates, which is, in my mind, a good thing. We talked about this last week. There's a couple political action committees out there backing the respective candidates who are running ads on their own not authorized by either one of the candidates, but they're running attack ads. What kind of person is Leah Vukmir? Did you know Kevin Nicholson said this 18 years ago? These type of things. The only person that benefits from these ads is Tammy Baldwin. And I hope as as things get closer to August 14th, which is the the Republican primary election, the primary election day in general, I, I, I would hope that the, these outside groups, these political action committees that are trying to get their respective candidate, the Republican nomination, I would hope that they would spend their money, and believe me, I'd love to have them spend money on ads, but I'd hope they'd decide to spend their money on ads touting the qualifications of their respective candidate as opposed to saying, oh, you can't trust Leah Vukmir or you can't trust Kevin Nicholson. That does nothing for any of the Republicans running and really gives essentially aid and comfort to Tammy Baldwin. Just saying. It's 158. When we come back, should you really be able to shoot somebody under those circumstances? Stick around. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Rusty, did you get one of those sandwiches that they had? Uh, Not yet. Oh, my goodness. Now, okay. Now, see, this is the way you make a good impression. 
you know, during Rusty's news case, the, the announcement is, you know, Scripps, <clears throat> they've said this for months, that they're selling different radio stations and they've settled on a buyer. It's Good Karma Brands, uh, own another local radio station as well as a number of other things. And they announced it today and the, the folks from Good Karma came over and had, had a meeting, introduced themselves to everybody. And I, I said this last hour, it, it everything's going to be just fine. <laughs> I, I don't know if other people are going to speculate about what it means. Everything's going to be just just fine it's and i i personally love the idea of of local ownership again and i i've i think scripps has been a great company to work for but i'm excited about the local ownership but all right here's what happens now normally when we have like all staff meetings and stuff uh we we go out and, and they'll get catered they'll bring in occasionally they'll bring in sandwiches and it's almost always jimmy john's now i i this is not a knock on free food and i i love jimmy john's fine but i'm telling you these folks the these were like it was almost like catered stuff. These were some of the best sandwiches that I ever had. They know how to make a good impression, and I'm thinking, Rusty, if you haven't gotten one, there's some left over there in programming. Go get one. Hopefully, hopefully this will be like a regular thing as opposed to just the the, the kind of like we're putting our best foot forward because this was that was some darn good catering. Certainly brought me around. No, it's it's actually the whole thing's going to be fine, and I'm excited to be part of the new phase here at WTMJ. It's going to be great. All right. This is a story that's been out there for a while, and I think causes some people, myself included, to rethink our positions on perhaps the limits on the use of force. There, there's what's called the Stand Your Ground Law, and the Stand Your Ground Law essentially says that if you are are threatened and need to use deadly force, you you don't have to retreat. You 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 don't have to run away. You can stand up to the threat. It also says that you know you have to look at this and try to perceive the threat the way the person who is the actually ends up being the shooter perceives it. Let me explain this in detail because here here's what happens. This is out of Florida. There's a woman named Brittany Jacobs. And here's the deal. She had just finished up a nursing shift on on a Thursday. This happened a couple weeks ago. And she and her boyfriend have this car full of kids, all under the ages of, of six. So they, they pull up in the parking lot of this Circle A, which is kind of a convenience store place. And the boyfriend, his name is Marquise McLaughlin, he and their five and their five-year-old son jump out of the car and they run in to buy snacks and drinks. And she pulls into a parking space and tries to rest in the car. She's just worked her nursing shift. She has pulled into a disabled parking space, handicapped parking space. Now, let me be real clear here. If you are a regular listener to this program, you know I've done topics like this from time to time. I think there is a special place in you know where for people who park in disabled parking spaces so but she's in a disabled parking space she is in the wrong no question about it well what happens is there is this other guy his name is michael dredchka and he's sort of an odd character he's a regular at this particular convenience store location and what he does is is he will hang out. He's one of these angry type of guys. That's how they describe him, just sort of an angry fellow. And what he will do 
is he obsesses over the whole question of people parking in disabled parking sticker places when they're not entitled to. And what he typically does is he makes it kind of a habit. He hangs out in his parking lot to confront people who park in the disabled parking space. That's what he does. So the boyfriend and the five-year-old are, are in the place buying sodas and snacks. The woman, she's just she's sitting in the car trying to rest a little bit. This guy comes, starts walking around the car, looking for the handicapped decal, doesn't find it. So he starts screaming at her, you're in this parking space, you should get out. So he, he's just yelling at her. And like the woman says, all, I'm here with my kids, and, and all of a sudden I've got this strange man who's just screaming at me. She says he wanted somebody to be angry at. He wanted somebody to fight him. He was picking a fight. I'm just sitting, waiting for my family to come back to the car. Now, she's wrong. She's not where she's supposed to be. But all of a sudden, you've got this guy who hasn't called the police. He's screaming at this woman who's in this car full of kids. All right. So what happens is that the screaming is so loud that people in the store start hearing it and looking out including the boyfriend, this uh, Marquis McLaughlin. And he sees that there's somebody out there screaming at his you know, girlfriend and the kids. So he, he drops everything, and he runs out to see what the you-know-what is going on there. And he comes running up to him. The guy is screaming at the woman. And then what happens is, is he runs up, and he says, what are you doing? Get away. And he pushes the guy, pushes him away from the car window. and. The man goes down. Michael Dretschka, he gets pushed away. He goes down. That's the confrontation. At that point in time, while on the ground, this Dretschka guy reaches into his pocket, pulls out a pistol, and fires a single shot into the boyfriend's chest, kills him on the spot. No question about it. McLaughlin clutches his chest, staggers back into the convenience store, and collapses he dies as a result of this. This whole incident takes just a few seconds. Boom, boom, boom. He's screaming at the car. The boyfriend runs up, pushes him away. Guy goes down, pulls out a gun, and shoots him at essentially kind of point-blank range. The sheriff, this happened in Clearwater, Florida. The sheriff in the county says he's not going to be arrested, the shooter, not going to be arrested and not going to be a charge with a crime, saying that he thinks the shooter's actions fell within the legal boundaries of Florida's stand-your-ground law, saying, well, from the perspective of the shooter, he could have felt that after being pushed to the ground, he was going to be further attacked by the man, so that's why he did what he did. Now, a lot of people are looking at this and saying, wait a second, you mean to tell me you can have some semi-crazy guy who initiates the argument, and then when somebody pushes him away, he can use that as a basis to pull out a gun and shoot someone dead? That can't be the law, and that can't be right. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this sound like a legitimate exercise in self-defense? Could stand your ground possibly mean something like this? Or is this a situation where the guy on the ground should clearly have been charged? Because shooting the man under these circumstances 
was completely and totally unjustified. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this sound to you like it should be a legitimate exercise in self-defense? 414-799-1620, tell you what, let's start with Gary in Sussex. Hi, Gary, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I saw this on TV, and yeah, the guy went around, and then uh, the boyfriend came out and shoved the guy to the ground really hard. But the guy backed off from the guy, and he was looked like he was going to come around to me. It looked like he was going to come around to the car and just get in the car with his yeah. girlfriend and drive off. He was not aggressive. He did not, after he pushed the guy down, he didn't start kicking him. No, yeah, no, he didn't come after him at all. Right. He pushed oh. him down. Yep. And then I saw the captain on TV saying, no, this is stand your ground in Florida. We're not going to charge him. And I thought, man, that's bad. That, that, that guy should be charged because, uh, the threat was gone. He was backing off. He wasn't being threatened. The guy was not aggressive after he pushed him. And he pushed him down hard. He really did, you know. But uh, yeah, I, thought a, I thought it was a bad shooting. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, see, I, thanks for that. I mean, I agree. I, I, you're talking to somebody who I'm in favor of the concealed carry law. I, I think that when you have situations, I, I think, I mean, I understand the use of deadly force in self-defense. I think this sheriff is dead wrong when it comes to his analysis of the stand your ground law. But even if he, if he is, then I think this law needs to be changed. I don't think I, I think there has to be some imminent threat. And, and I don't think that you should be able to be the aggressor, the one that starts the confrontation, the one that provokes a response. And then when you get a response, which is arguably foreseeable, you get that response to use that as an excuse to be able to exercise deadly force. I mean, I think the rule needs to be and should be, and by the way, I think is in Wisconsin, that you can only use deadly force if you believe that, I mean, your life is really in danger, that you need a proportionate kind of response. And in this particular case, I mean, I, I'm trying to imagine the, the situation. I, I, I can easily see this happening. Okay, forget about being parked in a disabled parking lot. But, okay, imagine, you know, you're in the store, your wife is sitting in the car, you see some crazy person screaming at your wife, your kids are in their car with them, you run out, and you push the guy away from the car. All right. Whether the person goes down or not, you push them, like, get away from that car. So, yes, you, you've escalated, I guess, because it's gone physical. It's gotten physical, but you're trying to figure out what's supposed to happen. You're trying to separate the crazy man from your wife. That's then going to be a justification for pulling out a gun and shooting you? Um, no. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Lamar, who's calling us from Orlando, Florida. Hi. Yes, sir. This is a hole in the law, and I don't. And I was telling the screen, I don't want to bring up the Trayvon Martin situation, but this is the problem. If I antagonize somebody for whatever reason, whether they think they break the law, or whatever, you know, they re, they don't know who I am. I'm not law enforcement. They respond as humans do. If they feel threatened, if I then feel like I'm my life is in danger because they responded, I use deadly force. And right. this guy wasn't arrested. There was another case in which the kids were playing the loud music, and the guy did the same thing. And he claimed, you know, he claimed that the stand your ground law didn't work for him. But in this incident, it has. But this is the biggest 
hole in the wall. Right, and part of it is because, right, and and part of it, Lamar, is they say, let's look at it through the eyes of the shooter. Could the shooter have been afraid, oh, gee, this guy, maybe he's going to jump on me or something like that. I, I think you have to look at it from a term of what would an objectively reasonable person do? And most reasonable people would say, hey, you've initiated this confrontation. You've been pushed away. That doesn't give you a right to pull out a gun and shoot somebody at point blank range. Right, and that and that's, that's the problem. And again, I don't want to uh, hate the reference. That's the, that's essentially what happened with Martin and Zimmerman. Yeah, that, you know, it, if there's now law enforcement that approaches somebody, and, you know, for whatever reason, as a as a as a, as a man, I'm going to respond. You can't well, yeah. this way or, or well, confront me. Well, well, no, right. Now, thanks to Carl Lamar, and it, it mean right, and it's not like right the the guy who pushed the man who ended up shooting him. It's not like he came at him with a baseball bat. It's not like he came at him with a knife. It's not like he even followed up. It was, get away from my wife, pushes him away from the car. This, to me, cannot be a legitimate exercise of self-defense. It just can't. Because if that's really what the law is, it is a license for people semi-crazy people to go out to provoke confrontations and when you get a little bit of an aggressive response then that's a justification to shoot somebody it can't the law can't mean that and if the law does mean it the law needs to be changed here's a text the guy with the gun should be charged with something first of all the guy's hanging out at that place a lot basically looking for trouble um you know yes you know he he did get pushed to the ground, but he was not in danger. Other man backed away from him, and then he decided to take his gun out and shoot this guy. We can't have people going around shooting at other people for every little thing. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And this is from the perspective of somebody who, I mean, look, I I believe that you should have a right to defend yourself, but that has to be reasonable. And if this is something that you can get away with, God help everybody who's walking on the streets in Florida, because if you get some deranged person carrying a gun who decides that they're going to get in your face and you respond in a physical fashion, does that give them license to shoot you and kill you? Well, if this is the case, the answer would be yes. And that's pretty darn scary. It's 222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. IHOP. Not IHOB, but IHOP, back in the news. Now, you remember about a month ago, the International House of Pancakes managed to generate a lot of free publicity by announcing that they were going to change their name to IHOB, I-H-O-B, the International House of, and then there was all this speculation, International House of Breakfast, International whatever, turned out to be International House of Burgers. And it generated a lot of conversation. I We just talked about it in terms of like a generic brand. There are not many. There are not many companies that are out there that are identified by, again, their, their acronym. You say IHOP, and people know what that means. There's not a lot of companies that have that kind of name recognition, but IHOP did. Well, so IHOP, they got this publicity, they got all this attention. Some of it was negative, people saying, why would they possibly do that? Then they came out and announced that we're changing it to International House of Burgers, but the asterisk was, 
Well, only at a couple, only at a couple restaurants. And then they came out and confessed that this was all just one giant publicity scheme. Here's what we were trying to do. We were trying to promote our, promote our lunch menu for burgers. And now we're all about pancakes and we'd be idiots to get rid of the IHOP name, which I would agree with in that particular case. So, I mean, they decided that. Well, they've had a lot of fallout since then. A lot of people saying, you hurt the brand by doing that, by going fake. And, you know, IHOP is saying, well, look, no, we're, we're pretty proud of this because essentially we played everybody as fools. We wanted to get all this free attention. We wanted to get all this free advertising. And look at us. We were able to succeed. We got all this publicity. People were talking about it. And now it's, it's never mind. One of the things I always tell folks about bad publicity is anybody who says that there's no such thing as bad publicity has never had bad publicity. And IHOP right now is getting bad publicity for, you know, this stunt, which means the next time they come out with something that they want or some promotions, yeah, they got the attention this time, but nobody's going to believe them and nobody's going to give them any sort of attention. So, yes, they got their short-term hit, but in general, I'm glad they've gone back to IHOP. I think that while they got some free publicity out of doing this, big picture, looking at the big prize, I think they might come to regret it. Time will tell. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. What was the life of a real-life MASH unit in Vietnam? A veteran named Ruby tells us her experience on the latest Stars and Stripes Honor Flight podcast series called Their Stories. It's on WTMJ.com and the WTMJ mobile app. Hey, by the way, once you're there, check out our podcasts. You can download the podcasts of my show. Better yet, subscribe. Then you get it on a daily basis. I know lots and lots of people do that on a regular basis, and I very much appreciate it. So you just go to WTMJ.com or go to our WTMJ mobile app. You'll find the various podcasts. And then again, just hit subscribe, and you will be all set. Don't miss a show. All right. We are now at that point of the week where we put away the heavy lifting. We stop talking about who's going to be the next governor of the state and whether or not the trolley is going to work and whether or not President Trump should find himself impeached because of a violation of the emolument clause of the Constitution. And we have a little bit of fun as we go into the weekend. I call this segment Pop Culture Corner. And we discuss all sorts of pop culture related things. Sometimes we talk about food and sometimes we talk about sports and sometimes we talk about music and sometimes we talk about vacation donut designation destinations and uh, sometimes TV shows, sometimes books. Today, I want to talk movies with you. And the reason I bring this up is because, as many of you know, I'm uh, I'm, I'm coming up on being married, married a year. But it was the end of September, so we got a. You know, they said it wouldn't. No, I would. I kid around. I say they said it wouldn't last. No, that's not true. Everybody said it would last. It's a. But you know, one of the things when you're, you know, living with somebody, uh, you you find out the the different things about them, and I, I think this is more from the perspective of my wife finding these things out about me. If you are a regular listener to this program, you know I am a. I'm a movie junkie. I just, I love to watch movies and I will watch, I'll watch the same movie five, six, seven times. I'll watch movies I don't like three or four times just to make sure that I don't really like them. Example, Pulp Fiction. First time I saw Pulp Fiction, I didn't get it. I freely admit I, I didn't get it. I didn't see what the buzz was. So I watched it a couple more times and now I, I think it's a really, really good movie and I enjoy it. But it took me a little while to do it. That said, I also acknowledge that I have, well, kind of, 
I, I think I, I like to say eclectic taste in movies. Some of my friends and my wife might say I have a strange taste in movies. But but I think it's true for all of us that there are there's maybe you watch a movie and you see this movie and you see something in it that maybe nobody else in the world sees, but but you like it nonetheless. So for pop culture corner today, we revert to the area of movies. Here's the here's the topic. That movie that you say, honey, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I love that movie. You know, the movie that you're embarrassed to admit that you like. It's kind of like Guilty Pleasures, but honey, I'm embarrassed to admit I love that movie. And maybe you're the only one that's out there. Maybe you understand this is just really a butt-dumb movie, but nonetheless, it makes me laugh or whatever. Honey, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I love that movie. What is that movie? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Essentially, your guilty pleasure. You know that it's not any good. You know that nobody else likes it. You know that it might be just dumb, but nevertheless, you enjoyed it. 414-799-1620, and especially with a topic like this, there really are no silly answers. My advice is always is go with your first instinct. And number two, try to call early because our phone lines tend to jam. And we want to get as many calls as possible. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Life. Text line, your guilty pleasure. Honey, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I really loved that movie. We're back with calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 240. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's our pop culture corner. Today we're talking about movies that the category is honey. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I loved that movie. I find myself saying that more and more nowadays. 414-799-1620. Kevin in Muskego starts us off by texting me. says, okay, I'll admit it. Porky's always makes me laugh. Porky's would be that kind of movie. Honey, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I I love Porky's. Um, here's another text. Billy Jack, the original movie, not the sequel. That's from Bob in Whitefish Bay. All right, let's start with Eric and Racine. Eric, you're first. Hello. Hi. How you doing, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of Howard Stern's Private Parts. I really love Bob and Um Well, I, no, thanks. For, I mean, I love I uh, Private Parts. See, I'm not even necessarily, I don't know that I would even categorize that as one that I'm embarrassed to admit I liked. I, I liked, little Howard Stern goes a long way with me, but I thought that was kind of a, a clever movie. 414-799-1620. Honey, I'm embarrassed to admit I like that. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Mine would be uh, Flash Gordon. Okay, the um, the one that came out, what, about 25 years ago or so, right? Correct, with yeah. like Sam Jones and, right. and uh, Timothy Dalton, right, and and all sorts of like sleazy, not sleazy, but kind of cheesy costumes and like sets that looked like they cost maybe a dollar ninety eight to make. Yeah, when I was little, I thought that the the football scene was one of the coolest things ever, and now <laughs> I watch it and I'm kind of like, well, that is cheesy, but for some reason, I still like this a lot. Well, exactly. They, see, that's it. It's kind of like, all right, I, I appreciate that we're not making great art here, but you don't have to all the time. Chad and Oshkosh. Chad, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how's it going, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Pulp Fiction because my movie was also written by Quentin Tarantino. It's uh, a movie called From Dusk Till Dawn. With uh, uh, George Clooney and uh, Harvey Keitel. Sure, the vampire and- movie. 
And I'll tell you what really, what really makes it interesting to me is it starts out as a crime drama, just a pulpy crime drama. And all of a sudden, like a third of the way through the movie, it shifts gears so rapidly you don't even see it coming. And, and I think that's what makes it neat. Yeah, it, it's uh, right into a, a, a major league horror movie, um, incredibly violent. Yeah, you you don't anticipate it. No, thanks, Nicole. I, I actually, I like From Dust to Dawn. That would be one that would definitely, given the fact that my wife doesn't have much of a threshold for watching violence and violent movies and stuff, that would be definitely one that I would be embarrassed to admit I like. But I do like it. There's sequels to it that aren't any good at all. But the original one with George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino, who also wrote it, and um yeah that that's it's a good film. I like it. 414-799-1620. Don in Brookfield. Don, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, flash dances with the girl, <laughs> dog in the Porsche, and the dance scene at the end with the jump. You're just How can you go wrong? Well, right, exactly, but you're you're not necessarily going to be bragging to your friends and stuff about, "Hey, I'm going home and watch Flash Dance tonight. I can't meet you at the oh. bar." Oh, there's no question about that. There's, no, uh, yeah. You know, th- I mean, th- you know, that movie in and of itself, that movie sold leggings. That was the thing that uh, Jennifer Beale, right? That, that was was uh, in Flashdance, and that that movie. I mean, ev- everybody wanted to buy th- those leggings that she had on. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Dave in Oconomowoc. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, Jeff. How you doing? I'm real well, thank you. Okay, honey, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I love this movie. Pretty women. Uh, definitely a chick flick. Yeah. My wife loved it. I watched along with her the first time, thought, eh. Yeah. But since then, uh, I've come to appreciate it. Okay. Have you come to appreciate it beyond the fact that it's got Julia Roberts in it? Is, is it well, the- <laughs> that's key. Trust me. <laughs> Right. No, they, they. I get it. I mean, right. Pretty Woman is Pretty Woman is definitely it's kind of the ultimate chick flick. There's there's no question about it. And a little Richard Gere goes a long way with me too. But Julia Roberts. I see the the thing that I've never quite been able to get over about the movie Pretty Woman. It was a huge success. Is you know every oh this is so great and it's this great love story and she ends up okay she's a hooker. That's that's the kind of thing you know. And they sanitize it and they soft pedal it, but it's. It's like, okay, they, they've managed to turn Julie Roberts into this hooker with a heart of gold, but at the same time, you know, she, she's a prostitute. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jim in Waukesha. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Um, how you doing? I'm good. Okay. Um, yeah, I, um, I have two movies. Um, one is Inglorious Inglorious Bastards with Brad Pitt. And another Quentin Tarantino movie. I just yeah, watched that. I watched that the other night. It's um, oh, the, okay. The guy whose his name's escaping me who plays the um, the, the German officer uh, who won an Academy Award for that. Yeah. Just incredible, yeah, that, incredible. Right. And then and then it's the whole movie how the Brad Pitt has those guys just hunt down the Nazis and that. That right. I, I, I love that. And then my other movie, I don't know if it's been said. I just got in the car. Uh, the Hangover. Oh, <laughs> you know, that would thanks for going. No, the Hangover would be the Hangover would be another one. That's that's sort of one of those kind of guy movies that you go. I you know I I understand it's not the greatest movie, but it's still it ends up making me laugh. I mean, I'll throw in one that I'm, honey, I'm embarrassed to admit I like it, but Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. I mean, I this was clearly one Don Johnson and uh, Mickey Rourke. They took the gig as a paycheck. You know, it, you, you had to know that this was going to be a movie that just isn't very good. But for some reason, the plot makes no sense. None of it makes any sort of sense at all. But 
there's just there's some it's got big john stud in it there's just something about this this movie oh and by the way somebody else who's got a small part in harley davidson the marlboro man is the guy um who who ended up playing gus fring and breaking bad and in the uh, better call saul thing that was one of his first movies he's got a small part at the beginning of it 41479 yeah harley davidson the marlboro man yep i love it can't help it honey i'm embarrassed to admit it john in oostberg john you're on wtmj hello how about old brother where are <laughs> speaking of george clooney <laughs> oh my gosh he, he, they made him look like such a buffoon. It was absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah, and you know, and of course that that's based on you know, is it uh, Odysseus and stuff? It, it's yeah. right, but it, it yes, that was a movie that I'm watching it going. I have no idea where this thing is going to go, and and by the time that it's over, you go, oh, that was that was kind of that was sort of good, even though it was kind of dumb at the same time. <laughs> Very dumb, it, 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 and his wife. Never really liked him one bit. Right, you're right. It, it, yes, I'm going to. Is it is, the worst it got? Yeah, th- thanks for calling. Isn't that line? I'm going to count to three. Oh, you don't want to let her count to three. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Cindy in Waukesha. Cindy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay, honey, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I love this movie. Dirty Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Every time it's on, I've seen it maybe 50 times. Patrick Swayze was such a hunk. And um, yeah, it's definitely a chick flick. Well, it it is. And you've got, you know, you got you've got Baby Doll and you've got, you know, Patrick Swayze and all that. That's And nobody puts baby in the corner. Right, nobody <laughs> You can you can, you can well, if you've seen it 50 times, you you get to do the line. So thank thanks for the call. No, I know I, I get well, I tell you as long as we're talking about Patrick Swayze, another movie that I would put in that same category that seems to me it's on all the time is Roadhouse with, with the late Ben Gazzara. I mean, Roadhouse is another one of those movies where it's on on its face it's a it, it makes absolutely no sense. It just it makes no sense at all. But there's something about it that is just kind of weirdly mesmerizing and it kind of draws you in so you end up watching it. Rich in Wapan. Rich you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I gotta go with the Ernest movie. <laughs> Jim oh what was his name? Jim something or other. Um, right, um who, yeah. Was it Vernon or something? Jim Vernon, yeah, I think that was it, yeah. yeah. Right. I think his name in the movie was Vern. Oh, right. Hi, Vern. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to I will try to look it because I'm. <laughs> I, I don't don't have my screen up. So, but yeah, but Jim. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Vern. How you doing? Right. I mean, I saw. I, I I saw Ernest goes to camp. I remember that one, and and it was it was dumb, but it was funny. No question yeah, about yeah. it. No, good Ernest enough. Saves Thanks. Christmas was the best one. Ernest saves Christmas. Didn't see that one. Thanks for calling. I think I only saw the first one, but yeah, you know, if you're talking about honey, I'm embarrassed to admit I like it. And you start with earnest movies. There's uh, something to be said about that. Stephen West Bend says Spaceballs. That's always uh, that's always a good one. Um, chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Okay, well, that's another one as well. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Kathy in Hartford. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Kathy. Hi. How are you? My favorite is the Coneheads. Okay. The original SNL Saturday Night Live primetime players. Right, Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, Chris Farley, a lot of uh, even other characters from SNL. I just love it. Yeah, that's it, and it and it's dumb, but thanks for call. But it, it makes you laugh. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, well, bring it on. 
would be my thing. <laughs> That's the cheerleader one, right? Right, correct. I'm embarrassed that I even knew that. <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I even knew that. But yeah, that was the cheerleader one, right? Where you, where you had like the the rival cheerleader. I can't believe I'm even admitting this. Yeah, the like the rival cheerleaders and stuff, huh? Right. Yeah, there was this white group of chicks and the black group of chicks from Compton in California going back and forth and <laughs> right, with all the, those, you know. with, with the cheerleaders. Oh, thanks. Well, all right. Got yes. That would definitely be one that if my lovely and charming wife came in and I was watching that, I would get that look like, what are you, what is it? All right, here's one. My name is Joe. My guilty pleasure is Fast Time at Ridgemont High. See, I where I would disagree with you, Joe, is I love Fast Time at Ridgemont High. I think that was one of the Cameron Crowe movies. I think that's, I think that's an outstanding time capsule of a movie. I I love that movie. I think it's really, really good. All right, I wish we had some more time. Um, let's see, Breathless, Overboard, Dr. Detroit, A Few Good Men, all these different ones. Um, yep. And then, of course, we got one guy to text that says, my, my, my honey, I'm embarrassed to admit I love it. It's a radio show, Jeff. I'm not going to tell you which radio show, but I have a feeling I think he might have been talking about this one. Always fun. This is Pop Culture Corner. We do it this segment of the program on every Friday. John Mercure and Melissa Barkley, they are on the road. They're out in Germantown this afternoon. We'll check in with them in just a moment. It's 254. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.